Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Welcome back to Vice and Easy. And this week, like I mentioned last week, we have a really good episode to break down. And I want to make a quick, I guess, housekeeping note. I'm going to work on my general mood and enthusiasm because I realize when I'm not really super jazzed in episodes, kind of wishy-washy and... I know, I guess just with like the whole world just being on fire, I should very much appreciate this little break from reality. So I'm going to do better at, I'm not really, you know, I'm not like super negative or sarcastic. It never works for me, but I'm just going to focus on like really embracing every episode to the fullest, even though I have 90 more episodes to go. Let's make the best of it. Not every episode is going to be this caliber. So let's enjoy all these amazingly well-written episodes. And then let's also enjoy some of the trash because that's what life is about, right? So speaking of this episode, what episode are we talking about this week? We are breaking down Miami Vice season two, episode four, Out Where the Buses Don't Run. The IMDb synopsis is as follows. Crockett and Tubbs stake out a drug dealer, an investigation that is being helped along by an ex-cop that seems to know a bit too much about the case. And we open with this episode, we are back in South Beach. However, I do want to point out this intro, as amazing as it is, this episode must have cost like $7 million and half of that must have just gone for the music rights alone because we open with Baba O'Reilly by The Who as we're watching this gentleman roller skate down the boardwalk. It turns out he's a drug dealer on his way to make a deal. <laughs> Please go to the gallery, Vice and Easy Podcast. See the link right there. You have to see what these kids who are trying to buy drugs are wearing. Tiny little short shorts and crop tops. Wow. And so he's on this way to make this drug deal. Crockett and Tubbs are staking him out. While little Richard himself, yes, the little Richard, is preaching at this faux evangelical ceremony out of the bed of a car. So it's not the bed of a truck. It doesn't look, the vehicle in question doesn't look to appear that big. It looks to be like an El Camino. Again, you can see that in the gallery at Vice News Podcast. So that's, I'm enjoying this because this is completely out of this world. Let's check in with the preacher in question. A righteous world. I think that's his last chance to get saved. Oh, little Richard, I know you've already left this world, but yes, I, for two, would like a better and more righteous world. (laughs) And so while this is going on, I guess maybe it's just like the funny juxtaposition of this religious gathering with this notorious drug dealer on roller skates. It's just a wild scene all around. So basically Crockett and Tubbs are doing some recon, doing some surveillance, waiting for him to make the deal so they can bust him. However, while Crockett and Tubbs are watching this drug dealer on skates, someone's taking a picture of Crockett and Tubbs and we see Crockett kind of look to the side and he has this feeling like someone's watching him and you can even see it in the frame that he's looking up, he knows someone's watching him. So isn't that funny when you're watching somebody and someone's watching you, which is very meta. So they finally make the bust. (laughs) I laugh because on the way to make this bust, they, 
have a little bit of friction with some of the religious zealots that they find at this service in this next clip. Get to know him. You can't get to heaven. If you don't beat it, pal, you might get to heaven right now. (laughs) So good. Such a perfectly delivered sunny line. And it's funny. So as this drug dealer is like trying to he's like you're never going to catch me croc you're never going to book me and then this girl with the bible smacks the dealer upside the head and it's incredible intro however i do think that they could have utilized little richard a little bit better maybe given him like a role in the series because i think he would have been amazing as someone as either a villain or someone who's working with the vice team like just with his style and personality but unfortunately he's only just relegated to this intro but we still love to see him anyway so after the intro we come back to the precinct someone we've never seen before is just kind of waltzing in pretty confidently to the precinct older gentleman little heavier not not actually like heavy but thick thick with two c's walking in and we see it's our guest star bruce miguel You'll know him from Animal House. He's been in a lot of stuff. He's been in a ton of Michael Mann stuff. Collateral, Ali, Miami Vice, The Insider. So he's a he's a Michael Mann fan favorite. And he walks into the office and just, I'll, I'll let you listen for yourselves. This is the confidence of which he puts himself into the situation. Check it out. I think Skates takes a better picture than you guys. You gotta admit, Sonny, you got style. Who are you? Hank Wilden. First off, Hank Wilden is my kind of man because he shows up at the precinct, just confidently waltzes in there, puts down pictures that he took of Rico and Sonny. As they're saying, oh, Crocky, you got style. Like, I love this, just acting and, like, commanding the room. And they're obviously taken a little bit back. You know, that's not normal behavior, so to speak. Introduce himself... Sonny finally recognizes the name that he was like this really well-renowned, respected former cop. They had heard that he had quit the force. Castillo is obviously not having it. There's an amazing photo of Hank trying to shake hands with Castillo and just Castillo just being his normal stonewalled self. Very funny. And even though obviously Hank and Castillo could not be further apart in personality, Hank seems to know what's going on. Although he's a little bit wacky, and you'll see it on later clips, I didn't really want to beat the dead horse, and, you know, because he doesn't really look crazy. He just seems like a little, little eccentric, you know? Like your, your interesting family friend, you know, that's known your dad since college. So he's kind of giving them info of, like, where to look. So he brings up this name, Tony Arcaro, which is this big-time drug dealer who all but disappeared once he was sprung on a technicality, completely disappeared into thin air. He's telling them to look at the name Freddie Costanza, again, who they recognize. So, like, they know that his information isn't just made up. He must get it from somewhere. And then we get the name for this episode when Tubbs is kind of expressing his feelings about him in this next clip. This guy's acting a little off the wall, but I heard he's one hell of a cop. Yeah. He may be out there where the buses don't run. But the information's correct. No kidding. A side note uh, to of interest of nobody. I, today I learned that buses is not spelled with three S's. That it is B-U-S-E-S. My entire life, I have been spelling it whenever it has come up in a context. 
B-U-S-S-E-S. I've been using the double S. So that's very funny. Today I learned. And as they're talking about Weldon, they pick up the phone, call Gina, and ask Gina to pull Weldon's jacket number, his file, basically. She is dealing with him, kind of puttering around her desk, so she is more than happy to oblige and to get some more dirt on him. He, knowing exactly what they're calling for without being able to hear the conversation, gives her his jacket number. He gives zero Fs. What a boss. Love it already. And at this time, Hank is still at the precinct. He's bugging Gina at her desk. And Trudy brings in a video to show Crockett and Tubbs the news report of the day that Tony Arcaro was let off on a technicality. Just kind of peppering in, like it's a news report. So you see, you hear, they talk about the Soviet Union, President Carter. The year is 1979 in question. Look at the newspaper that he's holding. Arcaro freed on technicality or freed on fluke. Then you'll also see another headline regarding Richard Nixon proclaiming his innocence once people listen to the tapes. I thought that Watergate, a little bit earlier in the 70s, because he resigned in 1974, then Ford took over, if I'm not mistaken, and then Carter. So that kind of threw me for a loop, and I tried doing some internet research, half-assed internet research online, kind of came up with nothing going on with Nixon in the late 70s. So maybe that was just kind of like a continuity error. Maybe they wanted to push the story back to like 1972 or three, and then the news report stories were more factually accurate to 1979, but then the newspaper itself, they kind of forgot to fix that detail. But again, what kind of uh, nerd is pouring over this supposed continuity error? Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. Am I being a little bit much of a stickler fanboy or as a history student, I'm just trying to fully retell and experience the history of the 1980s concurrently with Miami Vice reruns. Maybe a bit of both. And back to Tony Arcaro in question. As he's holding this newspaper with his little fedora hat, white suit, very smug about being sprung on a technicality. So that's pretty much all the video gives us. Kind of gives a little bit more backstory, you know, of finding this Tony Arcaro. They do kind of mention that, you know, they never found Tony Arcari's body. They think he's dead. Well, they never found Jimmy Hoffa's body either. Maybe they're all living on islands somewhere. Or maybe their friends just put them into cement blocks. Who knows? So Sonny isn't really convinced that working with Weldon is worthwhile. Gina has his jacket. So we can get a little bit more information about him that way. But Hank takes him out to a bar. This bar called Booty. I took a picture of it, of course, in the gallery at viceneasypodcast.com. You can double check it. I, maybe it's called Booty Bar, just like treasure booty. I, I, I love it. And it's a neon. And he's giving them this tip. Again, remember, Crockett and Tubbs aren't really vibing with it. But it seems to be a very detailed insider information tip that he's giving to Crockett and Tubbs. And he wants them to go to lunch with him tomorrow so they can see for themselves. At the Ocean Club. My friends, a hit at the Ocean Club is a very public hit. A very public warning. Tony Arcaro was very big on public warnings. He still is. Or would you rather go for what's behind door number three? Let me ask you something, Hank. 
took a nice sunny, but then I had to tell you. Trust me. Yeah, Crockett and Tubbs are really torn about this because Weldon is explaining the entire power structure of this organization and they got to look at his jacket like he's a good copy of all this recommend all these recommendations, but he quit the force. What's going on? And so as Crockett and Tubbs leave, we cut back to the next morning. Tubbs comes to pick Crockett up from the boat for their meeting with Langley, who is Hank's old partner, who is now working on a desk at the United States courthouse. They, I think I might have just totally missed what they said he does now, but they kind of slyly throw a little bit of shade that he's on desk. Basically that, you know, he left the force and whatnot. And as they get to the courthouse, his office, as much as they like to deride him for taking a just job, it's like a five out of 10 of the core. I guess that, you know, he has to have a professional demeanor and whatnot, and he is working for the United States courthouse. Like, for the court, you can't just, you know, have glass blocks and naked sculptures and (laughs) Patrick Nagel paintings all over the place. Sadly, in my world, I would. So it's not the most comfortable conversation. I split up into a couple parts. Uh, Let's get started. Let's find out a little bit more about Hank. Your partner quit the force. Quit? Let's quit the force? Quit. Tenfold. You want to tell us your version, Marty? Not a version, the truth. Can't judge a jacket by its book. We're all ears, Marty. Weldon didn't quit. He took a medical leave. Medical leave turned into medical discharge. He spent a few years at some psychiatric lockup in Lauderdale. When did he get out? We met him yesterday. Don't tell me Tony R. Carroll's alive and well. Yeah, I thought so. And Marty goes on to explain that for Hank Weldon, Tony Arcaro, it's pronounced two different ways by both characters in one scene, so I can say it either way I want, apparently. Tony Arcaro was Hank Weldon's obsession and compared it to a guy putting five bucks a quarter into the jukebox to play the same song. And that... Hank spent three years pulling this case case together, only to have Tony Arcaro walk on a technicality. And with that, Hank snapped and his entire life unraveled. Weldon wasn't mine. More than that, Tubbs. He snapped. He snapped so bad that his wife, Lorraine, totally in love with the man. Moved to another town, changed her name, you get it? It gets even sadder. Marty shows him a picture. Oh, my God. Tears are coming. Marty shows him a picture of his son, and he was just saying all his son could talk about was Uncle Hank this and Uncle Hank that and how much people loved him. And that this case, after Tony's walk on the technicality, just completely changed him and super heartbreaking. And then Marty just gets a little bit more hostile and just basically tells Croc and Tubbs to get out. Crockett has to throw a little bit of shade his way one last time. I like your desk, Marty. It's funny because that is such a passive-aggressive, like only in context would you perceive that as an insult. If you just played that for anybody on the street, they would have no idea. They're like, oh, what kind of desk does he have? Is it nice? What color is it? What material is it made out of? But here it's a little bit of shade. And as they step out into the sun, walk back to the car. Guess who was waiting for them 
sitting cross-legged, which very impressive of a man his age, with yellow boots on at the same time, on the hood of Tubbs's car. Very ballsy. And he knows exactly what they were doing. He even asked what his ex-partner said about him. Did he tell you I was crazy? Like, he is just one step ahead of everybody else. And I really commend him for that. Also because he would be like a golden age stalker with the age of social media. Like, he would know exactly what everybody's doing. And it's both, as I say this as someone who has this firsthand, a blessing and a curse. <laughs> I could find out if your man is cheating on you. I could find all this information with like four clicks. But it's it's a curse because then you never fully get out of it. And in the scene, they all look quite dapper. Obviously, Hank is not as stylish as Crocodile Tubbs, but I really appreciate all of his print, loud print shirts that he wears through this entire episode. Very much like retired cop vibes, but just with like a lot more flair. Even this scene, it's kind of just like black, slightly patterned. Crockett's looking impeccable in coral and black. And then Tubbs himself is looking really nice in like a nice tailored gray suit. They all look like a million bucks. They're going to drive to Weldon's before they go to their lunch at the Ocean Club to see this possible hit. So they get to Weldon's place. It's not exactly how you would picture someone of his age to live. Chalk writings and caricatures on the wall. Kind of run down holes in the wall. You can see the wood slats through the cracked wall. You get to his secret room with Lorraine, his supercomputer. Remember that Lorraine is the name of his ex-wife? Oh my god, not again. And Weldon wants to show him more intelligence that he has on this whole crew to prove what he's saying is true to Crockett and Tubbs. So let's meet Lorraine. Boys, I want you to meet Lorraine. Please, say hello to Lorraine. She's getting sick, old Hank. There's a point to this, get to it. Big deal, a computer. Every 12-year-old kid in Miami has one. Really? Like Lorraine? Huh. And now, please, if you're not driving, go to the gallery and check this out. The font used as a descriptor or as, I guess, a Chiron. This would be like a prototype for a Chiron back in the day. So it's Ray Pinchada and Friends. But it's written in the 24 font. You know how... Um, kind of like analog time, but they make it into letters. And Joel Cerno wrote the story and two other writers worked on the teleplay. So this is, I believe, the last episode that Joel works on directly for the entire run of Miami Vice. Unless I'm mistaken, maybe in season five he comes back. I don't think so. So this is kind of cool. This is, I can see the origins of 24 just from this font alone. And, oh my God, when Tubbs was like, every 12-year-old kid in Miami has this computer. I know when you're an adult and you realize that you're poorer than, like, these 12-year-old children in the mall. So demoralizing. I remember I was with, um, I was shopping at Aritzia and these two, like, 11-year-old girls were bossing this sales associate around. (laughs) And then they paid with the blood of a credit card. (laughs) 
what what a time it is. <sighs> and as we learn a little bit more about Hank, Hank is very protective over Lorraine, as we'll see in this next clip. Good night, Lorraine. What's this here? It has something to do with Lorraine. Don't touch those. Easy, does it, Hank? We're mellow, Hank. Mellow? Yeah. But I'm not mellow! Tony Arcaro's not mellow! I want Arcaro! Are we calm now, Hank? Lorraine here has more she hasn't told. We can have further conversations with Lorraine later, Hank. Now we go to lunch? Can we? Can we um can we go to the um uh, ocean club and watch um watch Freddie Constanza get hit, huh? Can we? Can we? Yeah, you might want to do something about your wardrobe. A lot of thoughts about that scene. And there's more that you can hear, but I'm just going to explain to you. He does blow a kiss to Lorraine. And then the reason he freaks out is that Tubbs kind of goes after these huge floppy disks. <laughs> and as they leave for lunch, I made a gif of Tubbs not so slyly taking this giant floppy disk and putting it into the breast of his blazer. And I thought it was a little bit rude that they asked him to change. And then he just ends up changing into like a brighter patterned shirt that has more of like a yellow undertone. I get that it's the Ocean Club, I guess. If this is Mastro's Ocean Club, okay, that is very fancy. I guess they would have a dress code. But I think he's still wearing down a button down shirt. I, I'm pretty sure the dress code of the day, they might have required him to wear a blazer, which he's not wearing in that scene anyway, as we get to the Ocean Club. So I think Tubbs is just being a little, a little judgy. And as we're at the Ocean Club sitting with Crockett, Tubbs, and Hank, Crockett, once again, is doubting Hank's information. To tell you the truth, Hank, I checked this morning, and I checked when we came in. And there is no Freddy Constanza on the reservations list today for lunch or any other meal. That's too bad. I guess this guy must be from that new celebrity criminal look-alike agency or something, huh? Gosh, my mistake. Yeah, Crockett, like a notorious drug kingpin is going to make reservations under his own name. He might use his name to get the reservations, but he's not going to put that on the books. Amateur hour. Well, surprise, surprise. As Hank is telling them to keep a lookout for someone who's dressed like a little off the cuff, a little nondescript, but like not too nondescript, just to basically get in and out. This giant seven foot tall cowboy in orange shades, akin to our assassin from Calderon's Hitless and the uh, the Hitless and Calderon's Return, walks in with this big ten gallon hat or cowboy hat. Sorry, maybe it's not ten gallon, but it's a cowboy hat. Walks straight up to the table with a silencer, one bullet through the brain, walks right out. Crockett and Tubbs notice, freak out, run. Crockett decides to run on the buffet table. And when I mean buffet, like I mean fancy high-end buffet. I see lobster tail. I see fruit plates. I see less desirable things like a gelatin mold and I believe ambrosia salad. (laughs) 
as they're off to chase this guy. I took a picture of his outfit. It is great. Um, I looked him up. He is a stunt guy. He wasn't credited with this role, and he. But I was like, it's perfect because it's just like this large, menacing man in this giant suit. As he runs out, Croc and Tubbs naturally catch up to him. Shoot! It occurs. He collapses, bleeding, onto this very pretty lady in a light yellow dress, whose handbag looks awfully familiar. Let me describe it to you before you can go check on the gallery. White half circle, or I guess hobo would be the word we're, we used. I remember in the 2000s, like hobo bag was very chic. Long strap and very lightly crisscrossed with different colors. So I can see about like four different lines intersecting each other on the bag. Blue, pink, yellow, orange. It's the same bag that Trini DeSoto had in the pilot when he offed Leon and kept his silencer in it on the beach. So I thought that was a nice little full circle moment. So kudos to the wardrobe department. And so after the aftermath of all this, Crockett and Tubbs find Hank just standing there, holding on to his raspberry smoothie, looking down at the dead body. Crockett and Tubbs freak out, start reading him his Miranda rights and pull him out of the restaurant. Then we cut back to OCB. Castillo's not really understanding anything that's going on. Why? I don't know. He's crazy. We figured he was on the inside somewhere. He had to be. He was a good cop. Maybe he's a good ex-cop. It's not something you want to think about, is it? He's better than us? So far, everything Weldon has said has come true. Ooh, that pause on he's better than us? Ooh, Castillo. And so we're still in the precinct. Let's not forget. Crockett Tubbs need a little bit of reinforcements to read whatever's on this giant floppy disk that Tubb has pickpocketed from Hanks. Zwitek ends up shocking himself when he's plugging in <laughs> the computer to the outlet. Then this is a very interesting scene. Again, I was not alive for this era with how computers were. I was alive for the MS-DOS era. So they're trying to put in different passwords. I made a GIF of one of this. They're trying clam juice, and they put in the wrong password three times. It prompts, do you want to ask me the password? And Crockett's like, you can do that? So they ask the password, and the password is Crockett and Tubbs. So it's even funnier that Hank is now like two, three steps ahead of them. Knew that he was, they were going to try to steal his files to see what was going on. And once up ahead of them the entire way. Love Hank, if you can't tell. And so we're back on the boat. Hank, Crockett, Tubbs all hanging out while Crockett's giving Elvis a hose bath, but he has it on the spray function. So you just see Elvis just chilling there, getting lightly misted. I put it as my Instagram story. And I made a TikTok of it because it's so hot. I was like, that's exactly what I would love. Just to be like consistently misted the entire day. So Weldon, again, he just like has all these gems of information. They did ask if he knew that Tony O'Carroll lived in the same building as him. Interesting. Maybe I misheard that. That's what I heard. 
then he mentions this small time dealer Stilski and Crockett kind of brushes it off like oh what's the deal with that then he mentions that he's got a big time lawyer who might lead into something else so there's something in the works they basically want to go check out this deal that's about to be made at this houseboat on the ocean and now cut Castillo asks Crockett and Tubbs before they do this deal, before they go on this mission, like, do they believe him? Crockett's a little bit conflicted, but Tubbs believes him. All the information he's been giving them so far has been true. And now we are in the ocean. We are chilling on Crockett's cigarette boat with Hank, with Tubbs, Zito and Switek there as well, Gina and Trudy, Castillo, all in different places. The one thing I will note about the hideout that Crockett, Tubbs, and Hank are using is that it's fenced in. And it's not completely fenced in. There are still gaps in the fence, in like the, the wood slots, so you can still see through. So I think that's why they planned it. And the boat's off, so there's no motor running, so you're not going to be able to alert anything. They see another cigarette boat pass, go to this little houseboat, and they're kind of going back and forth, like, should we go now, blah, blah, blah. They're like, no, no, no. Like, what are we going to catch them on? Like, <laughs> hanging out. They see this adorable seaplane. It is very cute. It is a little yellow seaplane with little black stripes, like a little bumblebee. But it's more of like, um, it's not as dark of a yellow as like a bumblebee yellow. It's more of like a soft goldenrod, like a daisy yellow. It's very, very cute. It's so cute, this little drug dealer seaplane. Oh. <laughs> But this is a very interesting clip because we're going to talk a little bit more about gut feelings. Crockett had the gut feeling. He knew that someone was watching him. So what does his ESP say today? How's your ESP working, son? You know, it's weird. But I do feel something. I mean, I knew he was watching us that day in the park. You knew someone was. You guys are starting to sound crazy. Ooh, Hank with the shade right there. (laughs) And then, so like I mentioned, the adorable little seaplane. So once the adorable little bumblebee seaplane actually ties up to the houseboat and the other boat also docks then we see a little bit more illegal activity and then we kind of catch them in the act so uh, everybody comes speeding out including Crockett and Tubbs in the I'm not pronouncing this right Scarab cigarette boat that Crockett has as they just burst through and all the wood slats covering the entrance just explode <laughs> great scene great scene so this giant shoot occurs once Crockett, Tubbs and Hank finally get to the dock tie up the boat Hank freaks out starts checking all the dead bodies to find Tony because we see three guys standing there with their hands up none of them are Tony Hank also manhandles this poor guy this poor actor who's playing dead just like yanks him up yanks him down oh my god please look at the gif while I'm playing this clip because you can laugh and cry at the same time Give it up, Hank. It's all over, man. What am I gonna tell Lorraine? Oh, man. 
man, that still that still tugs my heartstrings. And so as Hank is crying out, wondering when he's going to tell Lorraine, Crockett and Tubbs look up very stylishly. I may add, I took a picture of this. Look up from the cigarette boat and tell him that it's over. And then the next scene, Castillo is just like my dad at a park, sitting alone, no reading materials, no phone, no nothing, just vibes. Sitting alone in the dark in his office when the phone rings. Hank is clearly not handling this well. Yes. It's all over, Castillo. It's all over. What's this about, Weldon? I'm gonna leave Lorraine. That woman's nothing but trouble. Weldon. Can't live with him. Can't live without him. (laughs) Where are you, Weldon? I'm gone, Castillo. You won't have Mr. Hank Weldon to count on anymore. I'm telling you, I am gone. G-O-N-E. History, babe. Split city, man. Bye-bye, like so longsville. Forget it. Come in. (laughs) To do your paperwork, you've got to be crazy. You know what I think? I think Lorraine needs a good talking to. That's what I think. Oh, man. This is really sad, and it's really sad when you know someone that's going through this, where they're upset about something, and they're talking to you, but they're not making sense. It's like they're talking to themselves through you, where they'll get upset about something as if you did it, but you didn't. And so this behavior is really sad to see, and obviously Crockett and Tubbs are concerned. They go check out Weldon's place, find it kind of been trashed. They find Lorraine smashed, all his files and everything just flung in a mess all over the floor. So clearly they can see that Hank is not doing well for him to get that upset to destroy Lorraine, his computer. I might add his computer. So once they're back at the precinct, him, Crockett, Tubbs and Castillo talk about what options there are for Hank and what options there were for someone suffering with mental illness. And fortunately, it's a pretty bleak picture that they paint. Maybe we can get him into some kind of program or something. Yeah. Well, like the famous crazy cop retirement home. No joke, man. We really could use one. Yeah, man. And again, I'm not fully versed and I'm a little bit ignorant on civil servant mental health programs but I don't think it's that much better today might be a little bit Uh, unfortunately we've seen how the VA can also ignore problems especially if you live in Los Angeles you see there's a huge homeless encampment there was in front of the VA and then now the tents got moved onto the grounds which again is not really addressing the issue the fact that veterans are still homeless on the VA property itself is incredibly depressing so I, I don't really have much faith that it's improved in the last 40 years and I remember I was reading this horrific story. I've already I'd already heard about it, but I was just researching more of the details because why not? Uh, trigger warning: life. Basically, the lady who got attacked by her friend's chimp and how violent they are, and the extent of her injuries is incredibly gruesome. Where missing limbs, missing jawbone, missing appendages, missing eyes—horrible, horrible, horrible—and that. The cop who had to shoot the chimp in question never received PTSD 
treatment or therapy. And other first responders as well did not receive therapy. I heard that a few of the on-call doctors, nurses who took her in were able to receive therapy. But to see something that horrific and gruesome and then not have the chance to work through that, that's really unfortunate and that's really depressing. So this is something that I'm hoping is improving in the year 2022, but I have little faith. And so now back to the scene. So at that moment where Castillo, Crockett and Tubbs are talking about what options Hank has and what can be done and how he can receive any treatment, we get a call from Weldon himself. Apparently, he's captured Tony Arcaro. Hank. Tubbs. I got him, man. I got Arcaro. You got a car? Hank, where are you? He's spilling his guts, man. Confession time. I thought you guys might want to be out on the bus. Akaro's with you? Get the wax out of your ears, pal. Tony Arcaro is here where I am, not 75 feet away. Hank provides them with the address, and with that, Crockett and Tubbs speed off in the Ferrari. Wild Brothers in Arms by Dire Streets is playing, so we all know where this is going. Just your typical B-roll as the song plays. And then... Crockett and Tubbs arrive at kind of this dilapidated, I don't want to say quadplex, but basically kind of like it's a complex with what appears to be four half-torn-down ruined units. They slowly make their way up the stairs, and they see Hank. It's over. He spilled it all. It's in here. Now the sun's gone to hell. And as they make their way into the room, white spray painted with graffiti and drawings everywhere, they don't understand. They don't see Tony Arcaro anywhere. And there's a hole in the wall facing outside. They're on the second story where a door, I guess, used to be. So Hank is, it doesn't look like he's going to jump, but he's basically like getting fresh air from this missing door. And they ask him, like, where's Tony? Where's Tony? And he says that Tony's right here. Tony's right here. Grabs a pipe, beats down the wall. And as he begins to tear down the wall, they can see a mummified corpse. And upon further look, the straw hat, the shirt, and they find the newspaper with the exact same newspaper that he held up on national television that he was freed on technicality. When Castillo and Lang, Martin Martin, I thought that was funny. That's, there we go. I'm going to stop crying for like two seconds. Walk in. And it's that culminating moment where Crockett realizes what's going on. And he confronts Marty Lang. You knew. You knew he killed our Carol. I helped him build the wall. He was my partner. You understand? You understand? Yeah. That really got me emotional too, the fact that he was so loyal to his partner. I would have done the same thing. I would have helped him build the wall. I know that's not right. It's not morally right, but I would have done the same thing. So I thought that was a really beautiful moment. And you can see 
after Marty reveals that he knew the entire time and helped build the wall, you see another cop come behind the door. And that's when I really got worried that he would apprehend Hank. But thank God the episode just ends with Hank with his hands to the side of the wall, kind of putting his head out of the space in the wall outside, but not getting arrested, nothing. And obviously I'm assuming that he gets taken in, put in some kind of healthcare facility, because obviously I don't think that any charges would stick. Um, I know it's not morally right, but free him. I can't imagine if I was after someone for three years, a notorious bad guy who killed and harmed so many people, and I'd basically ruined my entire life over it, sacrificed my entire three years of my life, and someone got off, it'd be very hard for me to think morally right if I were in that position. So, free Hank, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Whew, and that is the episode. Um, I do apologize for crying. I do when I don't. I don't think that we should be embarrassed or ashamed of our emotions. I just, it doesn't really sound professional. But I watched this episode three, four times. Bawled my eyes out every single time. This really hit me deep. And I think this is one of the best episodes of the entire series. So thank you for sticking with me. I'm gonna go blow my nose and let's go back to some fun stuff. Let's talk fashion. Ah, uh, let's lighten the mood, shall we? So fashion-wise, we I start off with this. Usually I do fashion, second or third. But because this episode just had for such a sad emotional episode, we got some fire looks. So I'm just gonna name some honorable mentions the roller skating drug dealer also because he is so skilled going backwards i am as much as i love my quads i'm not as comfortable as my inlines and i just always feel kind of like not baby because i'm not as graceful (laughs) maybe if like you put um quads on like a pig or a bull or a hippo something less elegant because i can never have that movement in style and then i always end up pulling either my inner thigh or my knee so not that smart i really like little richard's look i really wish he was more utilized in this episode you get such a big name and he's just there for the intro and doesn't have any other plot tied to the story. I have a little bit more advice here on Little Richard. Very interesting guy and incredible pioneer of rock and roll. I think they could have utilized him a little bit more. Um, the guys buying the drugs, basically waving him down in little crop tops and short shorts. Wild. Now for best dressed. As much, obviously I'm going to give it to Crockett because he looks really good with the coral blazer, the white pants, and the black shirt when they first meet Lorraine at Hank's. I also want to give it to Hank because I really love all of his patterned shirts and lots of color. I like seeing men wear color. You see him in purple. You see him in yellow. I just really appreciate that. I think he looked very good and it just made him more endearing. If that makes sense, you kind of see him as like an uncle or a father figure. So I really liked his style in this episode. So those are going to be my two picks for best dressed. This one I was also debating between the long sleeve blue shirt that Crockett has rolled up when they first meet Hank. Just an amazing color on him. But also Don Johnson can wear anything. He can wear a burlap sack and look good. Ah, Vice Tea. And just word to the wise, I am planning on some standalone Vice Tea episodes. I'm in the process of researching them now, making sure that 
I have enough juicy stuff for, you know, for like a solid episode. It wouldn't be like an hour long episode. It'd be like a 25 minute episode. So I'm trying to work on some Vice episodes regarding either recurring cast members or the main primary cast members. Um, so some, some ones in the works, uh, Philip Michael Thomas and the <laughs> Psychic Network. That's an interesting one. I really want to do one on Melanie Griffith. I know that's, you know auxiliary cast member but yeah I kind of tried it so those are that's in the plan so when the vice tea is a little bit light on this episode I will on these episodes I will make it up to y'all because the vice tea on this episode again a little bit light Bruce Miguel love him great actor Animal House I need to rewatch Animal House I know D-Day and Animal House I was like his like big breakthrough comedic role that I'm due for rewatch I've not seen that since grade 8 since my crush told me to check it out so it's been a while. <laughs> and then Little Richard. There's going to be a little bit more vice tea there. Little Richard, when I was actually doing the research, so many accolades from other musicians like Lemmy from Motorhead of just how much of a pioneer he was. Just, you know, with his more, quote unquote, effeminate look, especially for what, like 1945, 1950, coming from the South. Like, just what a pioneer. But I'm going to give you a little spicy content warning if your kids are in the room. Now is the time to turn it down. Little Richard, known for his voyeurism fetish, watching his partners engage and act with other people, and then arrested himself for watching men urinate in the bathroom in 1962. Also, right after the film in this episode, he crashed his car in West Hollywood, right down here in Los Angeles. And then happy cool note to end on he was part of the initial class of inductees into the rock and roll hall of fame of 1986 and then our last guest star for the episode robert strathern i'm assuming that's how you spell his name there's a street in toronto that's spelled incredibly similar with an e instead of an i um he's been in a lot of things he's been in a lot of procedural dramas i remember him from the sopranos even though he was on the sopranos for three episodes uh but i was like that's where i know him but i think he did a great job as marty lang as hank walden's ex-partner and one last vice t tidbit the rumor not founded so i'm just reporting this as rumor is that dennis hopper was actually originally intended to play Hank Weldon, which, like I love to talk about Joel Cerno, Dennis Hopper had a figurative role in the first season of 24. So I thought that was a very, if that was true, that he actually did come read for it and met Joel Cerno and then later on would be not the same character at all. But I thought that was a very cool little tidbit. Now, let's get to music. And so as I was kind of hypothesizing within this episode, it was like how big their budget is, because two major songs are on this episode, Bob O'Reilly by The Who and Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits, which would later go on to win a Grammy, like huge, huge, huge songs by huge acts. So kudos to the music team <laughs> for being able to get these songs. I kind of wondered what the point of Bob O'Reilly with the drug dealer and the preacher at the same time maybe it just kind of like went over my head but brothers in arms your host's gonna cry one more time let me read you some of the lyrics all right through these fields of destruction baptisms of fire i've witnessed your suffering as the battle raged high and though they did hurt me so bad and the fear and alarm you did not desert me my brother in arms and before your crybaby host runs off, don't forget to show us a little love. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Like, 
review, five stars would be ideal. If so, I'm always open to constructive criticism as long as it's attainable. Again, this is just one woman alone on a microphone. I have lots of fun stuff for you. Lots of media, lots of memes. You can always find me on all things social at Vice and Easy Podcast. And you can see the link to the gallery in the show notes in the description part of the episode, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't, if you always check out my website at viceandeasypodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We'll see you again next week where I will be a little bit more chipper, (laughs) a little bit less emotionally devastated. And don't forget, as always. Hey, man, Miami Wise is number one new show.